Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I went out and I got Croatian food for lunch yesterday. Sure. I went to Doma Cafe on the near north side, and I had something called Savapi, Chavapi. I'm probably going to butcher that. Apologies to our Croatian audience. And it was like one of like the top 10 meals I've had in the city of Chicago. I was really excited about it. Well, Chicago is known for being one of America's best food cities. So kind of walk me through like what, how would you kind of define Croatian food based on your experience going there? Like what was, what was this dish and what was so special? So it was, it, my, my family is of Croatian uh, origin, um, but I've never really like eaten like the food of my homeland, but it's like, uh, it's some kind of, I think it's mostly beef, but it's some kind of really well seasoned meat. And it comes like in this pouch that kind of looks like a calzone. And in there, there was also like this eggplant, red pepper spread, this oh, wow. like, cottage cheese thing and just onions. And I got that. And I also got some like really good hash browns. So it was, uh, yeah. it was unique. I was a big fan. And the place was just like a little hole in the wall. Like I just happened to stumble upon with some friends. So I was very excited about it. Yeah, I'm sure you see it. Have you seen that one guy on TikTok whose entire thing is um, he wants to get like go to a restaurant for every different country's cuisine. Yeah, he went here. He went here from Croatia, actually. He did go here. I went back and looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a yeah, it's I hope that for you know, we're not going to Northwestern next year. Uh, So I hope if anyone in our audience is um, is in Chicago for any reason, whether that is visiting, whether that is because you live there, I hope you take that. A bit of advice, if you would like food advice for the great city of Columbus, Ohio, I will be sure to share that with you. But uh, you're not here to listen to me and Matt ramble on about food uh, for the next, you know, three uh, you know hour, whatever we're going to end up doing. You're here to listen to us talk about Penn State football. It's been a really busy day, a really busy couple of days in the world of Nittany Lion football. Uh, Penn State's search for an office coordinator came to an end, and a few days after that, Penn State. Uh, learn where it's going to be going for its bowl game. The new eyes are going to be uh, in the New Year's Six. But we'll get to that in a second. And we're going to start with talking about that aforementioned office coordinator hire. Mike Yurisich, no longer Penn State's office coordinator, replaced the interim by Jawan Sider and Ty Howe. But it was made clear that Penn State was going to go out and try and make a big-name offensive coordinator hire. Uh, they did that by going and hiring Andy Kotelnicki, the offense coordinator from University of Kansas, someone who has had a really interesting career uh, as an offensive coordinator and has been basically attached to the hip of Kansas coach Lance Leipold over the last decade. Uh, Comes from, he's from Big Ten country, originally played college football, Wisconsin River Falls. He was an offensive lineman. And Matt, when it became... You know, there were the rumblings out there in the days leading up to it by folks from around, uh, you know, around the program who are aware of what James Franklin is thinking that Kotal Nicky was a person that he was going to be targeting. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, there were basically two reactions, I think. Number one is it kind of doesn't matter who James Franklin hires because at this point, it's a show me, don't tell me thing. Yep. And number two, there was oh, wow, this is a statement of intent by James Franklin going out and getting getting Andy Kotelnicki. What were your thoughts when we when you first heard that James Franklin was target? You, not even James Franklin was targeting him. He was one of the guys Everybody James Franklin was. had some level of interest in. Because uh, I, I think we learned that on a... I think Nate Bauer, Sean Fitz reported, I think on Thanksgiving, that he was one of the names that was... Uh, I think Nate's exact word was buzzing. Uh, as James Franklin was trying to figure out who his next offense coordinator was going to be. Yeah, everybody wanted this guy. I think that's the big thing here. I think Oklahoma would have loved to have had this guy. I think there's a lot of programs in Penn State's standing or in similar standing to Penn State that would have loved to have this guy. And for James Franklin to recognize that this is the guy who can hopefully lead the program to take the next step and then to go out there and get him is a humongous win. The buyout is probably a little bit bigger than we're used to for offensive coordinators, just by nature of what Leipold and Kotelnicki have elevated Kansas to. 
And this is the first point I just want to jump right in, Bell, and hit on because I want to make sure I, I just sure. get this from the top. A big thing I value is being the kind of coach who can, for lack of a better term, hit your head on your program ceiling. I think James Franklin did that at Vanderbilt. I think Joe Moorhead did that when he took UConn to a BCS Bowl. I think Andy Kodolnicki is the kind of guy who had Kansas hitting their head on their ceiling for what they could be. And he was doing that with a backup quarterback for a lot of 2023. So right there, you're bringing in a guy who knows what it takes to get the most out of his players. And historically, when Penn State is successful, it's bringing in these guys who can figure out a way to do that. And that's what makes me really excited about this hire. Kodonaki, I think, is a guy who can be... He knows how to use different kind of personnel. At Buffalo, before he was at Kansas, he had... Was it Tyree Jackson, Bill? The really big quarterback, not that mobile from Buffalo, who's now... I think like a tight end on some practice squad somewhere, but definitely not a dual threat guy like Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean are for Kansas. But then on the other side of that coin, you watch what he's able to do with Daniels and Bean at Kansas, and he's able to run a really fun offense with those dual threat guys as well. Lots of two quarterback sets, which is great for Alleran Fabula. There's just so much opportunity for growth in this offense. And Kotelnicki, again, can adjust it based upon the strengths of the team he now has, and he routinely elevates it and makes sure his team gets the mo- gets as far as they possibly can under his coaching. Yeah, when, when it came out that he was a candidate, and when it came out that things were trending in his direction, the, the, the thing with Kansas is that if you watched them over the last couple of years, it was very obvious that his feel as a play caller, his creativity as a play designer, all these sorts of things were, I don't want to say unique. Um, one thing I'm going to, I, I want to make sure I do now because I, I think it's really easy to do this. We're going to obviously talk about how at Penn State he had five, he's going to have five and high four star talent to work with. At Kansas, he wasn't necessarily doing that. I want to make the distinction that that just means the balls of clay that he's working with are a little bit nicer. It mm-hmm. doesn't nec- it doesn't mean that Kansas had bad players. Kansas had no, it doesn't. wonderful, wonderful football players. And you could see that he was incredible at getting the most out of those guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that is in such stark contrast to what we saw at a Penn State football this season where it never feel like, felt like, or very rarely felt like, they were getting the best out of these wonderfully talented football players they have for one reason. And then I went through and I started to do just the little bits of homework. And there is one thing that stood out above them. And it's this quote that uh, it comes from uh, the University of Daily Kansas, Sam Winston, uh, one of uh, the reporters for the student newspaper at Kansas. Andy Kotelnicki was asked to kind of describe his offense. And I'm going to read this quote. I don't have a name for it. If I'm going to give the elevator pitch, I think I've said this before. I'll tell you it's a multiple pro style offense that uses spread concepts. Emphasis on multiple, emphasis on pro style, in the sense that we use a lot of different personnel groupings and put them in positions to be successful, just like you see on Sundays. And when I heard that, I went back to when James Franklin was first introduced as the head football coach at Penn State. And he was asked basically, uh, he, he was asked basically about his general philosophy. And here's a quote that he gave. What I would say, you know, here's the quote. What I would say is we're going to run multiple pro style offense, defense, and special teams. To me, I'm not a guy that's going to pigeonhole what we're going to do. I think my philosophy is you go out and hire really smart people and you have a system that has flexibility to take advantage of all your strengths and hide your weaknesses. Uh, We'll be pro-style, a little farther went on to say, we'll be pro-style, multiple pro-style offense, defense, and we'll be aggressive in everything that we do. And I link those two things together because it's so obvious to me that despite the fact that Andy Kotelnicki is not, you know, he's not someone who's been in the James Franklin orbit. He's not someone no. who 
Franklin crossed paths with Vander, but it's not like not like he went back to the Joe Moorhead well. You listen to what Franklin said when he first came to Penn State, the foundation that he wanted his program to be on and how they operated on offense. And you listen to that quote that Andy Kotelnicki gave last this past season at Kansas while describing his offense. And this sounds like James Franklin went out and hired a guy who approaches the game of football the same way or a very similar way to how he approaches the game of football. And when you listen to a lot of the quotes that Franklin has given since Mike Yurisich was fired about how important he thinks being collaborative, uh, you know, everyone being on the same page, all these sorts of things are. I don't think you can really quantify how valuable that is in the eyes of James Franklin. For sure. And, and that's where I think the outside voice here is really important because I think that it's really easy for a coach who has this existing relationship with this staff, like let's say Joe Moorhead, to come in and not, and I would have loved Jomo, I think Jomo would have been wildly successful, but to come in and to quickly fall back into tendencies that worked seven years ago. Football's evolved a lot since then. I think Andy Kotelnicki now can come in and be that true head coach of the offense that we're really chasing. Yursich, I think, was a... We never really knew what his play-calling role was, dating back to Oklahoma State, because that was Mike Gundy's offense. You go back <laughs> to Ohio State passing game coordinator, not technically the offensive coordinator. You know, allegedly he was at Texas. Tom Herman had a system he liked to run at Texas. So it felt like 2022 and 2023 were the first, and 2021 for that matter, were like the first examples of Yursich building the offense and running it. And I think that it's very easy to want to prove that you are the guy and that is your offense. And I don't know if Yursich exactly wanted to do that, but I can understand if Yursich wanted to keep the offense the way he always imagined it being built up. I don't think Kotelnicki, who has, I, I think, not this is going to be a horrible way to word this, but has willingly existed in Lance Leipold's shadow for almost 15 years, I don't think he cares that much if the offense is his, if it's Leipold's, you know, how it gets built. I think he's going to love that collaboration with all of the fairly, very smart football minds in that Penn State offensive staff room. And that's what gets me excited in that I think this is a guy who understands that if he runs the offense, that is going to be his offense. He is going to be the head coach of the offense. But there's a lot of smart people in that room who he is going to take, I think, advice from and build an offense that's going to work in a lot of different ways in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, by all accounts, Nicky basically, you know, Leipold really uh, encouraged him to run the offense the way that he wanted to. And you know, Leipold's a brilliant football mind. He's someone that Kotelnicki has taken off from. But it's a lot, it's different, as you alluded to, from, from Mike Yursich mm -hmm. in that, yes, Kotelnicki has been attached at the hip to Lance Leipold uh, for what is it, years. 11 years. Uh, he took over as the offense coordinator at Wisconsin Whitewater in 2013. He jo joined Kotelnicki when he jumped to Buffalo as his offensive coordinator. He joined Kotelnicki when he jumped to Kansas as his offensive coordinator. Uh, and there, th it has been, you know, in a lot of re the reporting, a lot of what we have read, a lot of what we've seen, that hasn't meant that he's basically just existing while Lance Leipold does what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Leipold encourages him. Leipold um, empowers him, powered him. To be the guy who built this offense up, you know, here are the principles, go out here, build the offense, run it how you want to run it, call it how you want to call it. And as a result, we'll now get into some of the statistics behind this Kansas offense. Oh, dude, there's the one I'm so excited to talk about. They they are 24th nationally in offensive SB+. They were at, tied at Kansas. Eighth, at Kansas. At Kansas, yes. They were tied for 8th nationally at 6.8 yards per play. They were 13th nationally on third down at 47.54%. They Pretty were tied good. for 8th nationally in yards per attempt uh, on the ground at 5.4 yards per attempt. Their team passer rating of 155.7 was 15th nationally. Uh, their yards per attempt, 9.4. 6th nationally, 
yards per completion, 15.1, fifth nationally. And one thing that we, you know, the stuff that we have heard for years from James Ryan, and this was the thing, you can go back to the early season pods where we were kind of talking about this stuff that was making me pull my hair out. For years, James Franklin's entire footballing philosophy on the offensive side of the football, we need to be great on third downs, great. The other, we need to, you know, good success rate. Uh, you know, he, he's, I, I think he's a pretty stay good ahead of leader the six. in the yeah. yeah, stay ahead of six, that kind of thing. But big plays. You need big plays in the running game and in the passing game. And those just dried up this season under Mike Yersich. Every single time that they would that Franklin would go behind a microphone and say, we want to, you know, do the ball control thing. We want to be able to run the football. We want to be able to do this, this, this. I hated it because mm-hmm. that was so antithetical to what James Franklin's footballing approach had been for years. Mm-hmm. And Matt, you listen to these stats. It is very clear to me that James Franklin in hiring Andy Kotelnicki, he wants Penn State's offense to have that big play element that just straight up did not exist. I I read a bunch of stats there. You didn't say that's the one that I wanted to talk about. My hunch is the stat that you want to mention involves Kansas's penchant for big plays this season. Am I correct? You are correct, especially in the passing game. So mm-hmm. one thing I want to make sure that, and, and this is the stat that I, I, I've been really fascinated by, Kansas was 68th in the country in pass yards per game. That's not great. That's not great. That's not terrible. You rattled off. They were a very good rushing team. They had really dynamic quarterbacks. That's beyond the point. They were 68th in the country in passing yards per game. Bill, they were the only team in the top 80 in passing yards to game, in passing yards per game, with under 300 total passing attempts for the year. So they were pushing the ball down the field. They were finding these explosive plays at a higher rate relative to total attempts than anybody else in the country. Nobody else in the top 80 hit this you know, hit, I don't know to wear this. Nobody else in the top 80 hit as many big plays throwing as little as Kansas did. And that's what makes it really exciting. Penn State needs receivers to step up. That's the other half of this equation. At the same time, I really do believe with Kotelnicki's scheme, with what he's going to do for Drew Aller, you're going to find better ways to get explosive plays from your wide receivers moving forward because of how talented Kotelnicki is at doing more with less. And that's what has me most excited about this. Yeah, and I this obviously isn't everything, but I want to go through and mention the recruit the the ratings that the guys his team was built around had as recruits. And unfortunately, we did not see nearly enough of Jalen Daniels this year. He was their starting quarterback. Uh he was dealing with a bad case of what scientists call Bill DeFilippo back. Uh but he was a three-star prospect. He was the number 2,305 player national. The guy who ended up playing instead of him under center for most of this year was Jason Bean. Another great three-star prospect. Name. Yeah, great quarterback name. Three-star prospect over 2,129 player national. Their star running back was a guy by the name of Devin Neal. Wonderful football player. Sunday player. Three-star, three-star recruit, number 421 player nationally. Their top two wide receivers, Lawrence Arnold, a three-star, number 696 nationally, uh, second leading receiver, Quentin Skinner. He was not ranked by 24-7's composite. He did not have stars. He was not ranked uh, on, the, on however many players they ranked in his recruiting class. Their top tight end, Mason Fairchild, three-star, 2,181 player nationally recruiting class. And again, I want to go back to, this is not to disparage them, what they have done at Kansas and what these players have done in getting getting themselves ready, getting themselves to a point where they could be this good, has placed a big emphasis on developing them to the best players they could be, a big emphasis on putting them in positions to be the best players that they could be, and they just have it between the ears in a way that all of these guys wanted to be great. And one thing that makes me really excited, Matt, is when you go through and see kind of the nuts and bolts of this stuff. I didn't go through and do their starting offensive line. They had a very good offensive line. The way that they use their offensive linemen, just as guys who were able to get out into space and mow for uh, opposing defensive players is a goddamn joy. Mm-hmm. But it's not hard to see how, again, 
use the look at those as how pretty of a ball of clay is this mm-hmm. these aren't the prettiest balls of clay but they were able to make something beautiful out of it or andy Nikki was able to make something beautiful out of it as the offense coordinator at kansas and now he is going to get guys like drew Auer, guys like nick singleton and katron allen guys like uh javen williams to block found, for him yeah file not found a wide receiver guys like their whether or not Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson are still here are really talented room of tight ends it's really hard not to go if this offense with these players can kind of install the fundamentals and principles that Andy Kotelnicki has brought with him throughout his coaching career and turn it into a you know and kind of expand on what they did at Kansas it's really really hard Unless you're the kind of person who, very understandably so, after what happened, all the hype with Penn State hiring Mike Yurisich, where you're you're just going to be guarded against this, I cannot blame any other person. I think you need to be oh, so excited about what this guy could potentially accomplish in having that. Real quick, this I, I've seen this take around the internet a couple a couple times this past few weeks. This idea that the Big 12 defenses are the same as they were in like 2015. It's just a lazy take. It's it's not. Listen, the Big yeah. 12 is not the Big 10. It's not the SEC. The defenses are not of the same caliber. We understand that. But this idea that it's like what it was when TCU and Baylor were dropping 70 on people's heads isn't accurate anymore. It's a lazy take. It's not, it's not really what Big 12 football is anymore. And again, the fact that he was doing it at maybe the brokest football school in the Power Five when they got there, tells me all I need to know that this guy can definitely mm-hmm. coach. And it yeah, transferring they're... from the D3 level at Wisconsin-Whitewater to Buffalo, maybe the brokest school in the MAC. I think he led them to the MAC title game. Now to Kansas, where again, I think he hit his head on their ceiling winning eight games this year with a backup quarterback. It's going to transfer. It's not the same Big 12 that, you, that people, I think those people are saying it is. That that's just not... That's not accurate, and I think that football is becoming more friendly to offense, and Andy Kotelnicki understands that, and he calls plays like it, and I'm not going to fault the guy for putting up good numbers against Power 5 competition. Yeah, no, I I think that's completely fair, and I, I, I think that one other thing that needs to be mentioned is that is something that James Franklin um, brought up, and that is, what are you doing against the best teams that you were going to play in a given season. And Kansas did not have an especially good game when they played uh, against Texas this year. Texas is a playoff team. They were just able to overwhelm and smother them. Three games that stick out to me, and three games that I think uh, needs some amount of mentioning here. Also, real uh, quick, uh, first, Kansas has beaten Texas in the Kotelnicki era. Like, it's not like it's yes. like a pure dominance thing. That that definitely did happen. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. For sure. Uh, that game, just just so I have it on the record, uh, Texas won that game, forty to fourteen. Kansas had two hundred and sixty yards uh, of total offense. I am now going to look up something that might make me uh, very mad. This is bad podcasting. I apologize. Uh, Yeah, Penn State had 240 yards of total offense against Ohio State and 238 against Michigan. So that's legitimately an improvement. Uh, But the three games (laughs) I wanted to mention, uh, three games that Kansas played, one was a loss to Oklahoma State in Stillwater. They lost 39 to 32. Uh, Kansas's offense still put up 500 yards of total offense. Game again, the following week, or their next game, I can't remember if they had to buy, they played Oklahoma in Lawrence. 443 yards of total offense and a 38-33 win. Uh, and then their uh, penultimate game of the season, uh, they played against Kansas State, 31-27 loss, 396 yards of total offense, but the team was down to its third string uh, quarterback in that one in Cole Ballard. He threw uh, 20 passes the week before against Texas Tech after, um, after Jason Bean got hurt came in and started against Kansas State through 16 passes, and that made up all 36 pass attempts of his collegiate career. So uh, that was oh, that was difficult. That's a, a thing to mention, that they have had some success against top teams. And then, Matt, here's the thing I wanted to mention. Do you want to know why James Franklin knows 
how good this offense is and how good it is capable of being against better competition. Because Penn State trailed Buffalo at halftime in 2018? Uh, twenty. The, the game was in 2019, September 7th, 2019. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembers this game. Buffalo led Penn State 10-7 to at halftime. Second half just gets away from Buffalo a little bit. They had 13 points in that game. John Reed picked Buffalo, six in that game. Shout out to John Reed. That's right. Uh, Buffalo converted uh, about 43.5% of their third downs, went 10 for 23 on first downs of the game. That was actually better than Penn State went on third down in that game. Penn State was uh, two for nine. 22 first down to Penn State's 14. On the game, Buffalo outgained Penn State 429 to 357. There were a couple turnovers in there. Uh, they got hit for a bunch, whole bunch of penalties in that game. They also killed Penn State in time of possession, 42 and a half minutes worth of having the football. Penn State had it for about 17 and a half minutes. So I think when we take that step back and we look at all the stuff we like about this, it's really hard to not see this guy's a track record. This guy's really good at doing, at, at getting the, the ball to his guys in positions where they can get the football, using his guys in unique ways. One thing that I know a lot of Penn State fans have seen uh, is that one running play where they're lining up an offensive lineman and slot receiver. My and favorite bringing play. Him My over, favorite play ever. That he is, poor guy setting the edge just gets demolished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by an offensive lineman who's coming in. Like, everyone has said it, but I would love to see Vega Yuane do that. That would be very funny. All this stuff, you look at all that, you look at the national perspective on this and how a lot of people outside of Happy Valley went, oh, Penn State made a great hire. A lot of people from Kansas were really bummed to see him go because they know they lost to good football coach. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really good things in this, Matt. So I just want to ask, do you have any, con- any concerns other than I'm just I, I'm just trying to guard against this. Is there anything that you've seen about Andy Kotal Nicky in your research of him and your watching of Kansas? Any things like this that make you go, ooh, I don't know about that. The the biggest concern that I have is a, a mindset thing. And it's that Kotal Nicky has always been, with the exception of his time at a D three, in which he was at a powerhouse, he's always been the underdog. He's always been at the brokest school. He's always been with the least impressive players, he's always had a team with this humongous chip on their shoulder. I think with the way the past two years have went for Penn State, they do have a really big chip on their shoulder. But I do get a little bit concerned if that in the games where Penn State just has to go out there and take care of business, that things just don't get a little bit too fired up and Penn State might be a little bit more susceptible to lose a dumb one by way of how non-risk averse Kansas and Kotelnicki have been in the past, as opposed to Mike Yurcich, who bottled up in big games, but made sure to take care of business in games that Penn State should have won. I don't really know how concerned I can be about that just yet, but in terms of like X's and O's stuff on the field, you know, I'd like to see them use more tight ends, but rarely can Buffalo or Kansas get multiple NFL caliber tight ends like Penn State can. There's always the concern that the playmakers that they're going to have on the outside is that he's always known them. He was productive. Their fir- the, the first year at Buffalo for Kotomiki and Leipold was not great. The first year at Kansas was pretty good by Kansas standards, but it usually takes a year or two to get in the groove of it. In the short term, I'm just a bit concerned because I think he runs a very advanced playbook. But with that being said, I think that there's a lot of time to get everything settled in. And with a, a slew of new guys, I'm sure, entering the fold at the skill positions, I think it's going to be pretty easy for guys to uh, really take advantage. And and the guys who know the playbook will be the ones who play. Yeah, I, I the, the the devil's advocate, I will say, with um, with what you mentioned about mindset and all that. Sure, it's fair. The only thing I'll say is that if Penn State can run the ball anywhere near as well as Kansas did, which is a collection of words I truly cannot believe just came out of mind. This is how we know it was but, a good hire, man. We're comparing yeah. our offense to Kansas. Uh. Yeah, a 5.4 yards per attempt. They were really, um, you know, they were just a really good offensive football team. and One that is capable of grinding teams down. Um, let me see if I see really quickly, pulling up time of... Uh, 
time of possession stats, Kansas was on average almost exactly 30 minutes in, so almost exactly half of the football game. If Penn State gets into close games and it's just, we're going to grind teams down now because we know how to win up front, we teach guys how to win up front, we get the ball to our guys in really creative ways, I'm not going to be too terribly worried about that. I'm a little worried, a tiny bit, about, and there's the tiniest bit of um, our not being the most mobile guy. Uh, well, that and even that kind of gets an asterisk because we've seen that he, can, he move can move a little he, bit. He can move yeah. more than I thought he could. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he's not as mobile as a guy like Jason Bean is. Definitely not no. like a guy as a guy like Jalen Daniels. And just dog-earing that because that's one thing to keep pay attention to with how important the QB run element has been to his offense at Kansas. Uh, but I think if you're a great play caller, that's something that you can work with. So not too worried about that. I'm not too worried about another Big 12 loss coordinator. I'm not too worried about, well, Mike Yurcich was a big hire, so why should we be too uh, optimistic about this guy? This isn't a, a, a worry, but just kind of the last thing I'll mention. Something that I found really interesting, and I went back and checked this. On the the official press release for Penn State, when they announced that... Um, when they announced that Mike Yurisich was taking over for Kurt Sharaka, they made it a point to say offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And I'm just dog hearing that to see what that what this means for uh, Andy Kotelnicki because they just said offensive coordinator in that press release. They only ruled him out as Penn State's offensive coordinator. Whether that means he's the quarterbacks coach, whether that means... Uh, you know, his experience, I think, has been a pure uh, offense coordinator. I think he might have been he was a might have been a tight ends coach uh, at Kansas for a bit, but just pure offense coordinator. So I, I just want to see how that works out. If th- if there's some like evil thing that they could do to get Danny O'Brien a job, because apparently Danny O'Brien is the greatest mind in the history of quarterbacks. I mean, coaching. they kind of can uh, with Danny. I mean, he sure he's a GA, but like that's a paid position now. He's not an analyst anymore. He can be on the field and he can be the guy that folks talk to so i yeah. mean it's going to be a little bit weird because there is the 10 on field assistance rule um but i'm sure the staff is going to have some attrition that kind of just always happens yeah i mean james franklin's thought of this it, so just just wanted uh wanted to make sure that i mentioned call. That i didn't notice that, that in the press release just, good call bill it's it's it, it, yeah it's just it's something that interests me because it's very clear to me that everyone their number one priority was a new offense coordinator but the number two priority was to keep danny o'brien as a very prominent voice in their uh in their entire program so keeping an eye on that we're going to talk about penn state's bowl game now here in a second but first we want to shout out our friends at home field apparel uh it's the holiday season perfect time to get people uh some gear from home field i know that i picked up some stuff from home field apparel for uh fans of other schools in my life as we're getting around of the holidays i actually got to uh, my girlfriend's apartment yesterday before we went out to do something she had a package from home field waiting on uh waiting on her front step uh, and I brought it inside and she said, stop being nosy. Uh, so I think I'm getting something from home field for Christmas. Karen, I love you. Uh, yeah, Matt, talk about, just say anything you want to say about home field apparel. If, you, if people listen to the pod, they know what, uh, what it's about, but, uh, I've talked for a while. So go ahead. Uh, it's very cold. Right? Oh, real quick. I wore home field. I was back home in Eastern Pennsylvania this week and I went out to a bar in, uh, in downtown Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for the Penn state Michigan state game on a Friday night. Uh, and I was rocking my script Nittany Lion shirt. As listeners know, that's my favorite shirt from Homefield. Uh, and somebody asked me where I got it. He really liked that it just said Nittany Lions and not Penn State, because not many things say that. Uh, Crewnecks, t-shirts, joggers, hats, bomber jackets. Shout out to my uh, older mate Paz, who has one of the Homefield bomber jackets uh, for Penn State. You name it, they have it. They make these phenomenal pieces of clothing. They fit you well. They make some of the coolest logos that are really rare in the Penn State zeitgeist. They're able to go out there. They take their time. They track it down. They learn the history. And again, not just Penn State. If you have a Slippery Rock alum in your life, if you have an Akron alum in your life, if you have a Youngstown State alum in your life, pretty much any school under the sun, Homefield Apparel is going to have it. And again, our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23. So thank you as always to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. And Bill... Do you want to go to Atlanta? I do want to go to Atlanta, but you, I'm have not... you been? You've been. 
to Atlanta. I've never been to Atlanta. No, you've somehow. never been I've to been, Atlanta. Really? In, in your NBA travels, you never have. So actually, the funny thing about Atlanta is that I used to have two colleagues who lived in Atlanta. I currently have one colleague who lives in Atlanta, and that colleague is like uh, my, my colleague Brad Roland, who if you listened over the uh, summer when we talked about Penn Staters at the uh, NBA Summer League, Brad was the one we had on. He's like the mayor of that goddamn city, so I have no mm-hmm. reason to ever go down to Atlanta professionally, but personally, I now have a reason to potentially go down to Atlanta because the college football playoff committee put Penn State in the Peach Bowl against Ole Miss. Um, A matchup that there were a lot of projections going around, Matt, a lot of projections on which team Penn State was going to play. I don't think I saw a single Penn State versus Ole Miss I did earlier on, but then once it got weird with the SEC title game, I was seeing a lot of Georgia or Liberty in there. And listen, both of those would have been awful for two very different reasons. Uh, So I'm very glad we ended up playing Lane Kiffin and like a school and a coach that I think really leans into the stupidity and the fun of college football. And that's what bowl games should be. So that's that's what I'm really excited about from this regard. Yeah, we... I saw those. I saw a little bit of Mizzou as well. It, it was either going to Mizzou be Penn State cool. played against, either Penn State was going to play against uh, the new the uh, G five team, which just broadly the G five team, whether it was going to be Liberty or somebody else, uh, and then Penn State, if not that, was going to get either Georgia or Mizzou. So getting Ole Miss, it's a really interesting matchup. Uh, it's a bowl game that I'm not sure the last time Penn State has played in the Peach Bowl Never. ever. First time. First first time first time for that, first time Penn State has ever played against Ole Miss in a two years game. in a row. The bowl game is against a completely new opponent. Utah was the first time Penn State played them last year. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh a, a, another potential feather in uh another potential New Year six team for James Franklin to win. Um if James Franklin wins this, I think the only ones left for him. Uh, would be the sugar and the orange bowl, and mm-hmm. then he would have completed the New Year's Six, uh, which no coach has ever done. Like it's just a, a a fun little thing to mention that James Franklin, uh, if he can win this, is two wins away from being the first coach to ever complete the entire New Year's Six. Uh, Matt, I know that Thanos. you were. That's right, Matt. I know you were. Um, you expected Penn State to be in this spot a good bit less than I was mm-hmm. <laughs> at the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are your thoughts on Penn State going to this game, going up against this opponent, and being in a spot where they are going to... It's still a New Year's Six game, but might not be uh, one of the New Year's Six games that I think a lot of Penn State fans wanted to see Penn State participate. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm kind of, I, I've come to terms with the fact that Penn State did not have the season that I think a lot of us expected them to. I think James Franklin firing Mike Yurcich midseason, the first time he's ever fired a coach midseason, is also him acknowledging that this season was a disappointment from preseason expectations. With that being said, the idea of going 11-2 and and beating a 10-win SEC team is always a great opportunity for Penn State. I think bowl games have really evolved over the years now to where if a player drop, like opts out, I don't care that much, get your bag. I think this now becomes a great way for younger players to use it as a springboard. Like, look at what Olu did in the 2021 Outback Bowl and what that turned him into ahead of the 2022 season. Like, I think these games can really be launching points for younger guys. And when you shift your mentality to that's what these games are meant to be, then it becomes a lot more fun. Like, it becomes a really good way to send seniors who choose to play out on a high note, and it's a great way to get a look at the future. So going up against an Ole Ole Miss offense and against Lane Kiffin, who are going to want to go, 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 and score, 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 is going to create just a fun matchup for the Penn State offense, or excuse me, for the Penn State defense, but it's also going to put pressure on the Penn State offense to be on their A game and to say, let's go, go, go. Aller's going to be back next year. Singleton's going to be back next year. Allen's going to be back next year. Who knows what receivers are going to be back next year, but this is their chance to go out there with a month of prep and put some good (laughs) film out there for Andy Kotelnicki to say, okay, here's our, you know, new launching point Let's parlay that now into spring ball and into next season. And that's what I think is going to be the most interesting part about this game. Also, I love the city of Atlanta. I had a lot of fun there this winter. 
Yeah, every, everyone I know who has ever been to Atlanta absolutely adores it. Which no, I sent you a pic yeah, of I, the meal I had when I, I was saw, in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, which makes the fact that I've never been there all the more inexplicable. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that one, I'm never going to complain about Penn State playing in a New Year's Six. I think that especially especially now that the playoff is going to be expanded, like the, the, there is just always going to be something, and maybe this is just a the fact that my Penn State experience was from 2010 to 2014 it was a pretty lean years for the Nittany Lion football program uh the fact that Penn State is in kind of that upper echelon that echelon uh maybe not the upper echelon but like in a really good place in the college football ecosystem is just something I'm always going to appreciate uh and the fact that they're going to be doing that I wouldn't have had as big of a problem playing against a new a G5 team as I think a lot of Penn State fans would have but I still would have rather they were playing against a good power 5 team like Ole Miss mm-hmm. like Mizzou maybe like Georgia but I'm not going to sit here and say I wish Penn State was playing Georgia because that's what stupid people do we've already uh, seen because it because Georgia... already, we've already seen it happen 2016 it was right before Georgia well, went like supernova was... yeah well, that's the thing. It's a different Georgia. I'm never going to yeah. sit here and be the we want Bama guy, the yeah, we want Georgia guy, the we point. want this guy because, yeah, because they scare me. Um, Fair. But yeah, I, Penn State's now going to be going out, playing a, te- a, a a good Ole Miss team, but still a team that Penn State should be able to beat in Ole Miss. Did you see that you uh, what the line opened up at, Bill? It opened at two and a half. I think it's already moved to three and a half. For, uh, in favor Penn of State's Ole Miss. Favorite. No, Penn State. Penn State's. Favorite. Oh, I saw. I saw on Twitter, Ole Miss opened as a one and a half point favorite. What? Let's me... fact check in real time. Great audio content. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening. It's been a fun season. Penn State basketball lost to Bucknell. We're not going to talk about that. Maybe really. Man. Don't don't get me going. Oh, it is now three and a half for Penn State. I apologize. I was. I. I must have read that long, wrong. So apologies. Penn State three and a half point favorite right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you look at. Um... You look at SP Plus, uh, it ha- says Penn State would be exactly 10 points better than Ole Miss on a neutral field. So I, I will probably be putting a little bit of money on the Nittany Lions in that one. But to go off of something that you said, Matt, this game is an opportunity to be a building block is huge. And the thing that I have been going back to for the last couple of weeks uh I don't think Drew Auer is going to turn into Joe Flacco, not by any stretch of the imagination. Not Joe Flacco. Sorry, I have uh, I have the Browns game on in the back. Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow during his final year at LSU. Uh, Joe Flacco has more Super Bowls than Joe Burrow, so maybe that, that is something to which Joe uh, Joe Burrow can point. Yeah. Uh, you look at the final three games of Joe Burrow's penultimate year at LSU before he won the Heisman, before LSU turned into the juggernaut, all this. 2018 His LSU. final three, yes. His final three games, a win over Rice, 307 passing yards, two touchdowns. Uh, penultimate game, uh, final regular season game, uh, they played against uh, Texas A&M. They lost. It was the famous seven overtime game uh, where they went out and Burrow, 270 yards total offense, three touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns. And then they played uh, UCF in their bowl game. That was the undefeated UCF team that lost to LSU in the bowl. 394 yards, four touchdowns. And what that stretch did for Joe Burrow was it gave him confidence. It gave him stuff to build on in the lead up to next season, which ended up being an historic one in college football. You look at Drew Auer. His game against Rutgers, he didn't play as bad. Again, we went over this. Didn't play as bad as I think a lot of you know his numbers might make look at first glance. He got dinged up in that game too. Game. Got dinged up in that game. Got pulled out. Had a great game against Michigan State. You know his best or second best game of the season uh, after the West Virginia game. And now he's going to have a month. Not with his offense coordinator. It's worth mentioning that Andy Kotelnicki. I don't think is going to be coming in and going boom, 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 boom. Here's how I want to do everything for this bowl game. So I'm We'll we'll see what how that ends up uh, how that ends up going. Do but, we know when if Kaneki's going to meet with the media anytime soon? I haven't seen any press releases about when he's going to have like a press conference. I'd like to 
hear what his plans are for this month because a month's a long time to be just hanging around. Yeah, I know he he's in Happy Valley already. He, he, they tweeted out a uh, they tweeted out a picture of him uh, and his family at the stadium walking onto the field. Um, I think Kansas made a couple of promotions to compensate for him to Correct. But Drew Aller now has a month to practice, to get in the weight room, to work on things with his guys, do all this stuff that he just hasn't had. And this is why I want to give Matt credit, because this is a point that Matt um, brought up either in Slack or while I was watching the Michigan State game with him. The last time that Drew Aller got a chance to really just sit down, go over stuff, decompress, go, here's what I need to work on, here's what I don't need to work on, and not, all right, I need to get ready for this game, I need to get ready for this game, I need to get ready for this game, was in the lead-up to the season. <laughs> and he now is going to have that, getting ready for Ole Miss, and obviously this applies to everyone. It's big for Nick Singleton, big for Katron Allen, big for whomever's going to be, you know, Caden Saunders, big for whomever in the receiving court. <laughs> but right now, Drew Auer has an opportunity to make a bit of a statement of intent for what he wants his 2024 to be. And I'm very interested in seeing what he's able to do, do with that uh, when they fight, when the ball gets kicked on uh, December 30th at noon. Uh, Matt, do you, have you got a chance to watch any Ole Miss, do any looking into Ole Miss, have any thoughts just on this Ole Miss team and Ole Miss at, you know, what they, um, you know, what you know about them, what you don't know about them, anything like that. I mean, it's a typical Lane Kiffin offense. They're fast-paced. They're run-and-gun. Their tight ends are glorified receivers. Uh, Kenny Yaboa was a Temple transfer who actually played at Parkland in eastern Pennsylvania who uh, was a tight end for Ole Miss a couple years back, and that's kind of been the mold for them. They spread it out a lot. Quinson, uh, is it Quinshawn Judkins is, last year at least, was maybe, Judkins, yes. yeah, was maybe the best freshman running back not named Nick Singleton. So he's an absolute menace. I'm excited to get to watch him. They go fast. They spread you out. Lane Kiffin really likes to use the entire width of the field. And it's going to be a big challenge for a lot of Penn State's secondary. I don't know, you know, if Kalen King or, you know, if Jalen Reed and all those guys have made their decisions yet. Johnny Dixon. And if they have, if they do opt out, Cam Miller, Elliot Washington, Zion Tracy, it's going to be a big, big challenge for them. And I'm excited to watch them answer the bell. Yeah, I, I... Real quick, Bill, can I, can I say, I was looking up really quick, because I always like to see if there's some kind of connection to the Penn State staff anywhere uh, on the Ole Miss staff. The closest thing I can find is uh, one of Bob Shoup's kids, not the one who played at Penn State, is a GA uh, on this okay. Ole Miss coaching staff. That's the best I could find. So not Tyler Shoup, a different... Uh, Correct, nice. Jay Shoup. No, I think Tyler's a professional wrestler, if memories. Sick. Um, yeah, I... I between him and him and Britt Baker, Penn State really is turning out professional wrestlers. Uh, but yeah, Ole Miss, uh, they're an interesting team because I think they have the reputation of being like, they're going to light up the scoreboard. They're going to allow a ton of points the other way. They're 21st in offensive and defensive SP points. Uh, you look at their team, Jackson Dart, a bit up and down as a quarterback. He's a pretty good, pretty good at getting big plays in the passing game, but uh, hasn't always, you know, have, has, we'll get back to him in a second. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins, really good running back. Sunday player. Uh, yeah, 1,052 rushing yards a season, 4.4 yards per attempt, 15 touchdowns. Ulysses Bennett, kind of the other guy. Uh, you mentioned uh, Judkins versus Singleton. Uh, coming into the season, Judkins and Bentley, uh, I think both of them were true freshmen. Or No, 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 Bentley's a, Bentley's a senior. But they were mentioned as, are they the better running back duo than what Penn State has? Um and Bentley was a big reason for that. Uh, mm -hmm. 521 yards, 5.7 yards per attempt, four touchdowns. Pretty good. Receivers, they don't have that one, like, indomitable guy. Like, there have been years past where Te Ole Miss has really churned out some incredible wide receivers. And DK Metcalf and um, A.J. Brown at the same time. And they never won more than, like, what, six games? Matt Luke deserved to yeah. be in prison. And this year, they spread the ball around a little bit more. Trey Harris... Uh, their most productive receiver, 851 yards, 18.1 yards per reception, eight touchdowns. Uh, Dayton Wade, 52 receptions. Jordan Watkins, 53 receptions. Those are their top three receivers, their top tight end. Uh, Caden and uh, Priest Korn, uh, 20 receptions on the season. Good play. The thing I wanted to mention 
uh, was on Dart. He is a quarterback that you can get to. Mm -hmm. He's been sacked 26 times on the season. Uh, His sack percentage, he's sacked on 8.3% of his dropbacks. He's pressured that's high considering the offense they run like it's not like it's like he's doing Mm -hmm. like not eight eight nine step dropbacks that's high i i don't think he's doing those but i think they're trying to push the ball down the field right yeah obviously do a little bit more diving into them uh pressure on 31.8 percent of his dropbacks and i say that to say here are the similar guys in the big ted when it comes to being sacked on 8.3 percent of your dropbacks he is right in between deacon hill who was sacked on 7.7 percent of his dropbacks and Ben Bryant, who was sacked on 9.2% of his dropbacks, uh, pressured uh, pressured 31.8% uh, of his dropbacks. That's right in between Noah Kim of uh, of Michigan State at 30.2%. Of the, of the transfer portal. Yes, and Taven Jackson of Indiana, <laughs> 33.3%. Two guys that Penn State didn't play against uh, this season because they had other quarterbacks in those games. So, we'll think the dog here. I'm, I'm very interested. Franklin has been pretty good about getting guys with NFL aspirations to play in the bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. I think last year, Joey Porter Jr. was the only guy who opted out. Um, and even he had, like, you know, he missed a game or two leading up to that. He had appendicitis. Of, he, like, kind of rushed back yeah. to play Michigan State, and then he, he played, mm-hmm. like, a reduced workload. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, a different story. Yeah. So, I, I he's frankly, generally been pretty good about convincing his guys, like, hey, this is one last dance, let's go for it. And we'll see if he, uh, we'll see who the opt-outs, if there were going to be any, opt-outs um if they're going to be op- any opt-outs here but uh yeah I, i'm excited for it i think it's going to be awesome i think it's going to be a really fun um really fun game between these it's two indoors teams and, in you know, a warm climate in late december that's mm-hmm. cool we love yeah. that yeah so if, if you're go- we'll obviously be talking a little bit more about that as we get closer and closer to the game we started the early signing period before then so we'll be doing a little bit of talk about that um the yeah, big one the big go, one's tomorrow bill uh what's december 4th december 4th tomorrow Opening of, the portal opens yeah guys portal opens guys mm-hmm. officially yeah because right now it's only guys who are um graduates grad transferring yeah okay mm-hmm. cool. but nobody's uh, nobody on penn state's roster at least time of recording has indicated they will be going in yet of course there's going to be a ton of guys who go in um but yeah. nobody yet on the penn state roster that has you know, been released publicly yet, which I was kind of surprised by at this point. Yeah, I what I, I wonder if at least on the offensive side of the ball, if that takes a little bit longer, just because Kotal Nicky getting it is going to want to like look through guys, make decisions. On, but you know, that's that's for another time. Um, yeah, wanna 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 talk about the playoff? Oh, I'm mad about this. You're mad about this. I'm Matt. so mad about this. Really? Yeah. Me, me having to take me having to take about the Wouldn't playoff. Wouldn't it be crazy if you had a friend who had been telling you for a long time a fourteen playoff sucks? Wouldn't Listen, that be crazy? I think the fourteen playoff is fine, and I said from the jump yeah. that I knew I would get come to peace with it. Um, this was an absolute disgrace to college football yeah. and to the regular season. Uh, I do not believe, and I don't think the committee, despite what they have said. I, I don't believe it's the four best teams ever. I think it's the four best seasons. Uh, and Florida State went undefeated. Uh, uh, sorry if you're Alabama. You don't deserve to be in. I mean, you're, you, they yeah. might just win because I think Alabama is one of the four best teams. But are they one? did they have one of the four best seasons? No. Uh, it's loser energy. I hate it. Uh, and onward to, uh, to expansion. And I feel bad for Florida State. I feel bad for Jordan Travis. I feel bad for Keziah Holmes, Penn State transfer down there mm-hmm. in Tallahassee. Uh, mm-hmm. It sucks. It's not fair. And the committee failed uh, this sport that we all love. Yeah, obviously, if by some miracle you don't know what we're talking about, the uh, playoff field was announced on uh, Sunday about, they said about 12. It actually came out about 1230 because ESPN's really good at getting you to put your TV on. Uh, Michigan, the number one seed. Washington, the number two seed. Texas, number three seed. I don't think there was going to be any sort of intrigue, too terribly much intrigue there. Texas could have theoretically been the four seed. Uh, here, but one and two were pretty set in stone. A pair of undefeated conference champions in those two conferences specifically it seemed like they were always going to walk in uh, to that. And Michigan and Washington, you know, you mentioned it four best seasons. They had two of the four best seasons in college football by any objective measure. Good for Michael Penix. Yeah, really glad for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so I watched, I was at a bar watching soccer, uh, and we actually threw this on on a side TV with no audio. So they set the first three, 
and we didn't know they were going to reveal who six was. Oh, and the Georgia did anything else. <laughs> so then Georgia pops up, and everyone scree. Like I have never heard. There were the people there watching soccer. You know, uh, part of my group, and then just like the regular folks there watching. Everybody lost it, and then they slot them into the sixty. Were like, oh, okay, that's pretty funny. That's pretty uh, funny. But yeah, obviously Alabama gets in over Florida State. Uh, Alabama, Michigan, Washington, Texas. I think Alabama. I think Alabama might might go out there and just blow the doors off them. Like I think it is possible they beat Michigan by a lot. Oh, and I having think, uh, said that, yeah, Alabama. I, I I would not be surprised if this was Saban's last ride. And, yeah, and having said that, like they shouldn't have been here. Like they they did not deserve to be here. I think the mm-hmm. SEC's kind of um, no no conference is better when it comes time to circle the wagons and push for themselves than the SEC. I mean, there's You've also the, the element 10... that the, the playoff has exclusive broadcasting rights on ESPN. What conference is pretty much entirely owned by ESPN at this point? The SEC. Well, the like, thi- it, it, This is all a TV show in the end anyway. Well, the thing is, the... The thing is that we have seen over the years little, slightly different circumstances. 2016... When Penn State wins the Big Ten, the Big Ten did not get full throw to behind Penn State. It basically threw its support behind Ohio State, saying that's the team that should go to the playoff. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but the year with Baylor and TCU, the Big 12... The first one, 2014. Decided, yeah, 2014. The Big 12 handed out its... Uh, it split the championship between those two teams instead of putting its full support behind, I think Baylor, uh, I think TCU won the regular season gave Baylor one of the rematch or something like that. Correct. And I, they ended up missing out on the playoff. There have been over the years where the Pac-12 has just never like really gotten behind anyone and really pounded on the table and said, we deserve to be in here. And what we saw here, there was the very convenient reason of Jordan Travis's injury that gave them cover to take forward and stay down. But fraudulent. What we saw here was in the lead up to the game, Greg Sankey going on TV, making the case for whoever wins between Georgia and Bama. And basically what he's doing is saying if Bama wins, they should be in. Because if Georgia wins, they were in no matter what. Bama ends up beating Georgia in the SEC title. We then saw a number of people, whether that was whether it was on TV, whether it was just SEC media people, whoever it was going to be, going. Obviously, Alabama has to be, and they are one of the best 14. If we are sitting here on January 7th or 8th or whatever it is, and Alabama is lifting the college football playoff trophy, Matt, I would not be surprised in this. No, I think and that congrats is... from winning it, but they didn't deserve yeah. to be there. Like, two things right. can be true at the same time. Right. They're an excellent football team. They very well could be Michigan. I would probably... I would, I would probably take them over Washington. I don't know if I can convince myself to take them over Texas because we've seen that football game already. That game's the Rose but, Bowl, right? Michigan, Alabama? Yeah. I wonder if Harbaugh will have interviewed for the Chargers job before or after that game. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be funny. Uh, yeah, Nick, <laughs> Flying out there on the, school, fu- on the school's dime. <laughs> it, it, would be, it is very funny that, Nick's, that Jim Harbaugh uh, to save his job in 2021, built out an elaborate cheating network to get the other team signs, and the, into- the end of the road might be playing a game against Nick Saban, who is just enough of a bastard to figure out a way to like install entirely new signs between now and then, and install a bunch of stuff that Michigan has never seen before in having their little army man go place to place watching and recording. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it sucked. Did you see the uh, statement Jordan Travis put out? Yeah, that's I a, statement. I mean, the tweet that Jordan Travis. Yeah, that poor kid. Where he just, he that's straight such, up said, it's, "It's so unfair." I wish my leg broke earlier in the season so y'all could see this team is much more than the quarterback. <laughs> that is heartbreaking. <laughs> and what is especially heartbreaking was the last thing we saw Florida State do was beat a top fifteen team by ten points, and with their third string quarterback. So with a guy who's not even going to play in their bowl game, barring an injury. And as a result, they're not there. And, you know, fortunately, once we get to a more expanded playoff, we're not going to have this kind of problem. If this was Penn State that this happened to, I would be driving to the NCAA headquarters right now to scream. Not the NCAA headquarters. I'd be driving to, Dallas. you know, 
whatever whatever like Mountain Town Book Oregon lives in, so I could scream at it. Whatever Appalachian Town Book Oregon lives, so I could scream at it. Because like this is legitimately the reason that we like college football is because a team can lose its starting quarterback and can then lose its backup quarterback and still make magic happen. Like with what happened with Ohio State in 2014. We didn't like that specifically, but a lot of people were fascinated by that Ohio State. We like college football because a team like Washington can build out its team. You know, don't just go through the top four. If you were removing your personal thoughts on these various programs aside, which I'm going to attempt to do here, despite my better judgment, a team like Michigan that has spent years trying to get over the hump, potentially getting over the hump, is a thing that if it wasn't Michigan, a lot of people would like to see. Mm-hmm. A team like Washington getting a bunch of older dudes together, a bunch of guys together for one last ride to go out there with a guy in Michael Penix who has been through a whole hell of a lot, with a bunch of veteran receivers, with the defense that is just, when they've had their backs against the wall, they have been able to make play after play after play. You love seeing a team like that. What Maybe indictment on John just... Donovan that the second John Donovan leaves uh, Washington is unbelievable. What an indictment on that guy. Boy, that's that's the first time an offense has ever been better after a fire John Donovan. Uh, te- you look at Texas. Do you know where John Donovan like works Texas. right now? I just pulled this up. He, he, I know he was like with the Jags, but I think that he was, was what he, he was, was doing with the Jags. Then he went, and then he went, then he was the Washington, Washington OC yeah. after that. I is he is he a financial advisor with Merrill Lynch? Like I don't know. I don't know. This feels like it could be fraud, though. He's an offensive annual analyst at the University of Florida. So yeah, go, that sounds right. Go Gators! But we love seeing a team, a program like Texas. That again, I'm trying to remove myself from this and how I don't really like the University of Texas horns down and that. Uh, but a team like Texas that for years has tried to get back to this level for years has always just shot itself in the foot and has finally gotten over that last little hump. And they now have a chance to compete for a national championship. And the thing that we wanted that we love about this sport is that in all of that, a team like Florida state, and I can't believe I have empathy for Florida state just fought and fought and fought through losing their quarterback uh, through having some really gross games on their schedule, when it's been time for them to make statements, they did it against LSU, they did it against Clemson, they did it against Duke, they were in some battles with teams like Miami, with Florida, all these sorts of things, and they come through on the other side every time, and we don't get that. They are not getting the ultimate reward for that, and it sucks for them, even though, like we said, Alabama can go out and just win the whole thing, and none of us would be surprised. But, yeah. Uh, if this ha- if this happened to Penn State, how mad would you? Have I'd be furious. I'd be sc- I'd be fuming. I'd be screaming. Even if Penn yeah, State was eleven and right. one, I'd be mad. Like like twelve and one in yep. that scenario, and won the Big Ten, I'd be furious. It's just unfair. Yeah. Uh, let's see what other bowl. What, so what are the uh? Have they announced all the bowls yet? Or pretty much really strip it out. Iowa's playing. Uh, um, I should know this. Tennessee, maybe I want to say I could be wrong on that front. Ew. Um, no. Uh, you know what? A, what a weekend we get to see the end of the Pac-12, the end of the Big Ten West, um, and now we're in the final four quarters of Brian Ferentz. So we do, made it. Do you know what? I, so I didn't get a chance to watch too terribly much of the uh, the Michigan Iowa oh, games. Oh, dude, I was it was so bad. Was I watched the Columbus crew? I then pulled up the box score. It looked and worse. Saw that and saw that Michigan only had 213 yards of total offense. Iowa converted one more fourth down on the same number of attempts as them. If I was Phil Parker, I would go into Brian Ferentz's office and punch him in the face. Oh, you have like, to. That was a heroic effort by Iowa's defense, and they just got nothing for it. So, sucks. So, I mean, again, that's just removing myself from it. I think it's very funny that happened to the University of Uh But yeah, any uh, any final thoughts, Matt, before we, uh, before we wrap up this edition of the bot? No, I'll uh, I'll give this take. I'll, I'll walk out this take more uh, when we record a couple in a couple weeks. Um, I think after the Peach Bowl, we are going to go into twenty twenty four with uh, Drew Aller as the established best quarterback in the Big Ten for twenty twenty four. And I'll leave it at that. I the only reason I will say I might not agree with you is because I don't think it's impossible that JJ McCarthy comes back, and if he does. I think I think it's his mantle, and that Drew would have to take it Fair. from him. I think McCarthy's gone, but though. I think he should dip. I yeah, he's 
he's a, he's a tough one. He's a tough one to kind of get a your stock's on, never going to get higher, kid. Your stock's never going to yeah, get higher. I don't know about that. We'll see. Who is, we'll see. Who is who is the number one quarterback in the twenty twenty four NFL twenty? So this upcoming NFL draft, who is the top quarterback? Good question. It's Caleb, Caleb Williams or Drake May, right? Right. Yeah. 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 In this one, sorry. Yeah. Twenty twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty five. Who's the number one quarterback? There is no number one quarterback in twenty twenty five. So theoretically, if he is able to come back, it, you know this is the this is the conversation that. But will Harbaugh be there is his thing. Coach. Like, do you want to go through whatever kind of punishment Michigan's going to get, you know? Sure. No, for sure. But and some Michigan's going to be really dumb good. and trade yeah. up for him. Like, see, he's going to get some GM fired. Yes. I mean, I, I don't think it's impo- I don't think it's an impossible take, but there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then before I'm able to voice on all that. I, I think it's very possible. Just to be clear, I think it's very possible that's true. I think it's very possible Drew is the first quarterback taken between. But that's for a little bit farther down the road. We'll get to that another day. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions. Roar, as always, make sure you go and subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is. If there's a chance to leave us a five-star review or just give us five stars in general, please go do that. Spotify, go use that Q&A feature. Drop some stuff in that we were talking about on the pod. YouTube, go subscribe to us over there. Hop into the comments. Talk about football with folks over there. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at RLR blog and one and last Blue Sky. time. Bill, I plugged Blue Sky and we got a follower yeah. after the last episode. So follow us on Blue Sky. Okay. Yeah. Is it RLR blog over there as well? Uh, let me check. I think I'm the only one with the login. I haven't tweeted from, I haven't posted from there in a minute. Um, give me a second. It is Roar Lions Roar on Blue Sky. If you have Blue Sky. Sure. Go there. Uh, and thank you again to Home Field Apparel again for first time customers. Use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the pod for Matt Filipovich. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. RIP Big Ten West.